1: On the latest Bigfoot Collectors Club, The Other Side, it's a Bigfoot Book Club episode where we discuss the survival horror slash Bigfoot thriller devolution by Max Brooks. Also in this episode, the truth about eating on camera. Visit patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club for more info.
2: Bigfoot Collectors Club presents terrifying tales from zombie Bigfoot's cryptid crypt! <laughs> I know a ghost story about you!
1: Welcome to another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. Unfortunately, absent from today's episode is your other host, Bryce Johnson. He's unavailable due to mysterious... Reasons that we cannot go into. But thankfully, filling in for Bryce is, of course, our super producer. Riley Bray. We have a great show for you today. But before we introduce today's amazing guest, we're kicking off a new month-long Halloween event for October that we're calling Terrifying Tales from Zombie Bigfoot's Cryptid Crypt. All month long, here on the main feed and on the other side, our stories of high strangeness will be scarier and more horrifying than usual to embrace that Halloween spirit. We have some really cool things planned, including some upcoming brand new merch, so give us a follow on Twitter at Bigfoot Pod and on Instagram at Bigfoot Collectors Club, and stay tuned for that announcement. Okay, here we go. Today's guest uh, is a comedy writer, a podcaster, and co-host of the world-famous Doughboys podcast and the smash hit video game podcast. How did this get played? Boys and girls, please give a warm Club Scout salute to Mr. Nick Weiger. All right. Hi. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, I told you this off air, but I will reiterate it. Uh both Doughboys and How Did This Get Played are on my subscription list on my podcast app. I listen every week and I love both shows.
3: That's very, very nice of you.
1: I appreciate that. So you're a, you're obviously a fast food connoisseur. Yes, is, is there a horror horror themed like fast food item that you can remember? Is there like a spooky Halloween treat that you like the most? You know, this isn't fast food, but as far as junk food snacks go in that
3: category, you can always think of the Halloween cereals. You got your your Count Chocula, your Boo Berry, your Frankenberry and your Yummy Mummy. Oh, uh, yeah. So baby. and and then Fruit Brute, who's kind of their 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 take on a Frankenstein. Uh, that That's what I that's where my mind goes immediately. As far as fast food, I'm sure there have been some promotional tie ins with uh, horror properties but the uh, the ones that i think of are uh, they like king kong um, <laughs> i think had some you know had some uh, that, that doesn't really cut tie into the paranormal but i mean like king well, kong he's godzilla. sort of like a giant bigfoot yes yeah he is a big he is a giant bigfoot godzilla oh, there God. was a you know the the taco bell promotion for that oh, uh, yeah. i had a, a the movie congo the michael Crichton of course. Adaptation. From the '90s, I had the the Congo promotional Taco Bell watch, and I was wearing that for a while. Which is That's very awesome.
0: Exciting. Yeah,
3: <laughs> Amy the talking gorilla. Yes, yeah, one hundred. Yeah, Amy. She drinks a uh, she drinks a martini in the film in a <laughs> practical gag uh, designed by uh, the late magician Ricky J. Really? Yeah, I didn't realize it was that complicated to have a a guy in a gorilla suit drink a martini on camera (laughs) but apparently it involved outside consultation
1: i mean i guess so because if you really want to make a usually in that you just see like the muppets will just throw it in their faces or something you know what i mean like cookie monster just the cookies go all outside they go crumbling outside of his mouth so to have an animatronic or a suit like that actually drink something i guess would take a bit of wizardry i guess so my favorite all-time uh fast food tie-in was the Triple Hero Burger that came out during uh Batman, I think Batman Forever mm. at McDonald's. That was an, it was like a three it was like three hamburger patties lined up on a McRib bun. And I wow. think it was one of the only McDonald's burgers that I remember ever having mayo on it. So it was like a little weird, but I loved it, and that's when I discovered that I had a an affection for mayo on, on my burgers.
3: (laughs) I have a, a vague recollection of that, but I, it's, it's rare for McDonald's to introduce a menu item specifically for a tie. in usually it'll just be like a happy meal toy.
1: Yeah, so no, they really went. Something. They went all out, and I I was in high school at the time, and I think I went and through the drive-through after school every day. For wow! Like, oh, well, I guess it was God. the summertime, so it was after work. I would just go. I caught one of those like every day. It was disgusting, but uh, God, I still think about that that burger. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! Video game wise, what are some of your favorite? I'm putting you on the spot here. I apologize. What are some of your favorite horror based video games? great question
3: you know a recent one that i that i love and that i've raved about on uh, my podcast uh, along with uh with uh, heather ann gamble and matt apodaca who i do the show with uh, is a uh, death stranding hideo kojima's game which is it, it's it's sci-fi apocalyptic but has a has strong horror elements and uh, it has these creatures called the lore of this game is incomprehensible which i love <laughs> i love just how complicated it is i love that i've i spent near 100 hours playing it and i still can't really explain what's going on uh right in my <laughs> wheelhouse but the the uh so kojima has this this, this thing called cuz it's just all there's so much world building and the, and there's there's so much it's just a barrage of new ideas um and one of them is these things called bt's beached things which are like these otherworldly. They're like basically things that have died, but have passed on to the next world. But you can still have some sort of uh, interaction with. You know, it's it's a fucking ghost. That's fundamentally <laughs> what it is. But it, you need a th- you need a baby that has been affected uh, that has been born to a dead mother, I believe, in order to detect them, uh, because Whoa. you need that connection to the outer. You need that like that that link. Uh, that umbilical link to the other the other side so, so it's got this layer of like you're carrying a baby around that you have mounted on your um you know you like sci-fi exoskeleton and the baby will start crying and detecting when there are bts nearby when they're beach things and then you can you know use your device uh to, uh, 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 I think it's called the Obra deck. What the fuck's it called? Uh, you use this thing just to, sh- to shoot out waves and then you can see the BTs and they are horrifying. They're extremely scary. Aren't and they then, like big is- dinosaur-like creatures or something? Yeah, they're gigantic hulking abominations. Uh, but then also occasionally you will run across, like, like when you get closer to them, you can see they have more of a humanoid form. And then sometimes you will run across a baby. Like, that is, like, it's the same thing, and it's a baby, and then the way you kill them is you sever their umbilical cord oh uh, to the other side. Of course. Anyway, it's <laughs> it's so complicated, uh, but it's, it's really great, and it's really immersive, I think, because... Like you're just like thinking about all these concepts the whole time.
1: Man, I that I, I listen I've listened to you guys talk about this on the show and I have not played Death Stranding yet. And the more I hear you guys talk about it, the more I feel like I need to need to pick it up. I'm fascinated by the idea of like the scientists in that world who A discovered the BTs and then B discovered how the method of detecting them was babies. You know, like who yes. figured out that science? <laughs>
3: It's so it's just so complicated. But everyone just like you'll you'll hear something like that. There'll be like this this large amount of exposition, uh, which will come from a lot of times from a character named Die Hard Man uh, and Die Hard Man, (laughs) who is the president and uh of course and wears a mask the like the, that covers the lower half of his face a uh, game came out before covid by the way uh, but anyway so this this mask wearing president named die hard man will give you like you know 5 minutes worth of exposition explaining a new concept and you'll just everyone will just take it in stride no one's ever <laughs> like like that's weird it's just like all right sure whatever <laughs>
1: I just love that, like, everything you just described would not make it past, like, the pitch session of a TV writer's room. Like, you would be fired immediately if you pitched any of these concepts. I
3: I love (laughs) it. I mean, Kojima is like Hideo Kojima, who is the designer of this game, uh, who's most famous for the Metal Gear Solid series, is... He has this like auteur sort of status, the stature, and he has his own company now, Kojima Productions, where he's kind of crossed the, the George Lucas threshold, where he just now has cr- total creative freedom and no one to say no to any of his ideas. And as a result, you just get like total anarchy uh, <laughs> as his output. But it's great because you're not going to see like just a pure stream of someone's ideas, someone's like brain dump. Really, it,
1: it, you see it so few places in any medium. Totally. That's a good point. Yeah. Oh man. I got to check that out. I think my favorite horror game uh, memory is when I, f- I think it's the first scary game I ever played was resident evil four on the GameCube. Oh yeah. And I remember when I bought it, I bought it at the electronics counter at target. I will never forget this. And the guy, the like teenager who was checking me out was like, Oh Yeah. He's like, get ready for this one. I was like, really? And he's like, oh, man, this game is terrifying. And so I was like, really getting (laughs) really building me up as I bought it. I was almost like second guessing my purchase. And then as I was walking away, he goes, hey, and I turn around. He goes, there's a shotgun in the tower in the in the village. (laughs) You're going to need it. And, I just, and he was right like i remember being like oh there's the tower i went up there and there was a shotgun and it was like the only way to get through that village was to get that shotgun but it was it was just like that classic moment of like the the old man on the edge of the forest warning me not to go up to the haunted castle yeah
3: you had a real life npc <laughs> yeah
1: totally that's i will, amazing yeah it's yeah, a cool story. It, it is one of my favorite memories let, a, let alone video game memories but uh oh, what a blast that game was so so good uh all right nick well we love to ask owl all of our guests what is your personal paranormal history do you believe in ghosts have you encountered a ghost have you seen a ufo any of this stuff
3: uh I don't you know I don't really believe in ghosts and I'm not you know I'm not like a huge like annoying skeptic about it but I but I do I don't really like it's uh, it's possible but it's not it's, I don't really believe it uh but the uh, you know UFOs aliens you know again I I think I I'm one of the people who tends to just buy whatever line is like, well, this was actually just a high speed aircraft that was being tested at low level, low uh, altitude or whatever. Like, I'll just be like, all right, sure. Yeah, that's probably what happened. Um, but, I, you know, I think think alien life likely exists, but I don't think it's necessarily visited us. But again, you know, I'm not like a, a huge, annoying skeptic about that. It's it's possible. Uh, I So I haven't really had any paranormal encounters in person how, or that I've experienced firsthand. However, the thing that's maybe akin to that that I've heard discussed in paranormal terms is I have sleep paralysis oh boy. fairly often, less often these days, but had it a lot as a kid. Uh, and, um, you know, it's it's still a it's still a two or three times a year occurrence for me. And and it, it sleep. Have, have either of you guys ever experienced it?
1: Yeah,
4: I have not, but we've talked it. yeah, Michael has. We've talked You've about experienced it a lot, it. too.
3: What so so my experience of it and I'm I'm curious Michael it, how much yours squares up with it, but I will it like it's it feels interminable. It feels like it's stretching on forever. Like yeah. I can't move. A lot of times it'll be like I'm like face down on my pillow, like I've rolled onto my stomach and then that's when I get it. So I I literally feel like I can't get air into my body. I can't make my lungs move and I feel like I'm going to die and I'm trapped there for ever. And then also the other thing that's happened to me a lot with this is that I just get like this huge hulking silhouette. Like it looks like, it looks like juggernaut shadow, just like this gigantic thing with, with like a, not really a head, but just like a gigantic rounded top uh, to his body. Um, And uh, like his torso just kind of goes up and, and, and like a mountain. And then just like, like huge arms just sort of lurking over me. And wow, so so that's what that's what I associate. And then I'm just like stuck in that forever. And I'm trying weekly to make n- any sort of noise to alert, you know, somebody to help me to, to try to get my wife to like, like, wake me up, but I but no sound comes out of, m- of my lungs. Um, so yeah, it's really that's the scare, the most scared. Uh, i ever am in my life is when i'm suffering from sleep paralysis and then of course i don't i'm not aware that i'm having sleep paralysis until
1: after the fact that's the thing that's always so fucked up about it and just bad dreams in general is yes why if we've been through this before why can't our brain just go oh nick you're just that that hulking uh shadow beast that's that's you've seen this before it's gonna right. go away why doesn't why don't our brains work that way
3: it doesn't make any sense. I, I that's a like I feel like I should be able to recognize when I'm in a dream anytime I'm in a dream. You know, like I just I feel like it's like okay, uh in what situation would I be making pancakes with my third grade teacher? Like I just <laughs> well,
1: I don't know, Nick. <laughs>
4: A smooth talking third grader. We, we <laughs> might be getting to the bottom of this. Uh, these these <laughs> night errors
1: <laughs> uh, the screaming is also the worst part when you're trying to make a sound. I it, yes, it's so bad. Like, and you're you're married, so I'm I'm. <laughs> this might be presumptuous of me, but I assume your your wife is next to you in bed. I sleep alone most of the time, and so the only person I can call to for help is my dog, who's usually Mm -hmm. next to me, because I think, like, if I can somehow, like, get Violet to wake up, then she'll wake me up, you know what I mean? So I'm always trying to, like, move my hand, and it's just, like, vibrating really badly and not moving, and I'm trying to, like, reach across the covers to find my dog to tap her awake. It's the worst
3: it's really and and you know like for me I, I I feel like every muscle's contracted like I can't like you know I can't move anything uh, when I I I've had. And I'm not sure if it's, if it's sleep paralysis or just other bad dreams. I've had times when, when my wife, Natalie has woken me up in the middle and, and then just sort of like known, she, you know, she's at the point now where she knows to like, just sort of like reassure me and calm me down. Like, it's okay. You're just dreaming. Cause I'll wake up in a state of complete panic, mm. but I feel like I can't, I can't even make, like, I can't even muster like a,
1: hmm,
3: <laughs> when I'm, when I'm paralyzed, when I'm sleep paralysis, suffering from sleep paralysis, I just can't do anything. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, yes. Yeah. So, so do you ever, like, do you ever see anything? Do you ever hear anything?
1: Yeah, I'll do. I mean, I've, t- I've told some of these stories on the show before, but, like, this started when I was really little. And now Me that too. I'm a grown-up and see a therapist, you know, it's, ten- you know, basically I've learned that, okay, this is one of the ways that my anxiety manifests itself, right? Hmm. And when I was a kid... And I was a pretty anxious little kid. Like I remember the earliest versions of this were I would wake up frozen in bed and my eyes weren't open, but I could sense that there were beings around my bed and I would feel this light sensation up and down my arms. And I was like, they're touching my arms, you know, and that's why when I was like in high school, I thought maybe I'd been abducted by aliens. Right. Uh, But, you know again having gone through all this you know talk therapy i'm realizing like oh no this is a pattern that recurred my whole life and then what would also happen when they when i was really stressed out i would i they kind of would move from that the per, sleep paralysis and then the other version i have is that i instantly wake up and see a figure standing next to my bed When I was a kid, it was ET. It was a teddy bear that looked like ET. But in my mind, in my eye, I saw like a high-def resolution image of ET next to my bed. Yes. And I would scream, and then instantly it would all vanish. But then I was left with just like this adrenaline rushing through my body. That happened to me as a grown-up, too. I, I was filming a horror movie in Morocco. I told, I think I told the story fairly recently, but, but Mm there's, there's a reason uh, why I'm specifically telling you, Nick. Uh, I woke up and saw myself covered in blood with a bloody knife standing over my bed in the hotel I was staying in. And I screamed. I like threw my pillows, knocked over a lamp, ran. It was so bad that I ran into my bathroom and, and like locked myself in. I was like cowering in fear.
3: (laughs) Jesus. Yeah.
1: And I was just like really overworked and tired and I was in a strange country. And Wes Craven was a producer on this movie. And the next day I was talking to him about it. And he said, he goes, oh, you saw yourself. And I said, yes. And God, what was the name of it that he said? I think he just called it a phantom. He was like, that was your phantom. And next time you see it, ask what it wants. So, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah,
4: like, Very Wes Craven response. Yeah, <laughs> right? Use it.
1: Yeah. yeah. So maybe next time you see the shadow knot, you know, the big hulking beast, ask it. Try to ask it in your sleep paralysis, maybe mentally, since you can't move your mouth. You know, what do yes. you want? What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I hang had. out. I've had those. Yeah, I just need a friend. I've just had (laughs) I've just I've I've had tons of that stuff. Usually sleep paralysis will hit me uh, when I nap in the middle of the day. Okay, and I feel like I will be in not a terrified version of it, but I'm frozen and I will see out of the corner of my eye. People come into my room and walk around my room and have conversations that I don't understand. Um,
3: I basically Mm -hmm. never nap, but I, when I, when I have had naps, especially when I was younger, when it was more common, yeah, I would have it happen sometimes. I think, I think maybe a trigger for it could be just like getting really hot. Maybe, uh, maybe that's a, that's something that causes it. I, I have definitely had an element of it where I'm like, I'm in my bedroom. I'm in wherever I'm sleeping and I can't move. And yeah, stuff is happening around me, uh, whether it's the, 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 the recurring, uh, looming, uh, hulking presence or just, yeah, some, something else, some other dreamlike thing that I just have no capability to react to. It, it's funny that you mentioned the ET thing from childhood. Cause I had a similar thing. So that same uh, sort of specter, uh, that I see it originally a- appeared to me when I was like, I think maybe four or five and I, it was, but except it was, com- it was like golden. It was like, just like, it was like, it was like, you know, shining brightly like the sun and like coming towards me. And I remember telling my parents about it in the morning, it was just like this terrifying experience. And they were trying to calm me down. they were just like, Oh, it was probably Big Bird. And I remember
1: <laughs> that's even worse. Yeah, that's I remember.
3: Horrifying. Well, this is a thing because I just remember being like, like just knowing in my head, and I just be like, "It's not fucking Big Bird. Don't tell me it's Big Bird.
1: I know I saw."
4: Feed me these cover-up lies.
1: <laughs> Stop selling me the Sesame Street bullshit. <laughs> I'm living a nightmare. <laughs> Were your parents religious at all? Were you raised religious?
3: Yes, we were Episcopalian, uh, you know, which is kind of like Catholicism light. And we went, we went, yeah, we went regularly. I almost just said we went religiously, Um, (laughs) which, yes, we did. Uh, We went regularly to church basically until my brother became a teenager and then maybe it was just too much of a hassle uh and then we just, we stopped going i i don't think my parents are really religious anymore but they both kind of grown up with it my mom especially and so just kind of continued that so yeah christianity was like a big part again like it not not you know not like a a a big a, 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 episcopalian is like a episcopalianism is it's like the one of the the looser sects you know it's it's one of the uh, more lenient more progressive sects and so um S-E-C-T-S, yes. I'm trying to say. Uh, and so it's it was never like a... It's still a, 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 a pretty liberal, progressive household. But yeah, that, that was definitely a... a we, we definitely were a church-going family.
1: Because I just feel like the golden light thing that a lot of parents would be like, it was an angel, Nick. Oh, Nick, yes, was yeah. an angel. <laughs> an angel came to visit <laughs> you. You know, I don't know why your parents are from Texas, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, it
3: was... Yeah, no, it, I I never thought of it in terms of in religious terms. You know, at any time I've had something like that, I thought it would be yeah, maybe paranormal or maybe extraterrestrial. And then later I just realized, yeah, it was it's just a dream thing.
1: There's the, there is a the mythology of light beings that we we haven't gotten really too much into on the show. But there it's a very it's sort of a new age take on aliens that there are beings of light, like high, mm-hmm. you know, highly intelligent, highly spiritual. They're not angels, but they're kind of like the sci fi version of them that will sometimes, you know, bless people with their presence and download, you know, positive information or you know, emotion. Um, so it's so fascinating that this juggernaut, just from a psychology point of view, that this thing went from, like, super co- golden to, like, now it's a dark shadow. Now it's a shadow, yeah. It's- so
4: what do you guys think these things are? Like, you know, you'd say it's a it's a dream thing or it's from your anxiety, but is this... Is this just entirely like something that's coming out of your subconscious do you think or and why is it so sort of uniform the experience that it, people have that experience this
3: other things i've read is that it's a lot of times people will perceive like a long stretched out sort of apparition have you heard this before <laughs> yeah, yeah sometimes yeah like, like super a- elongated yeah yes yes 100 percent um yeah i don't know i i don't know what it is I do remember reading, and 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 Michael, you probably know more about this, but I remember reading a book when I was younger, perhaps by Carl Sagan, that that talked about alien abductions from a skeptical perspective, and was basically saying that a lot of times, uh, that he was just he was uh, uh, postulating that these are these are just you know episodes of sleep paralysis or 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 flat out nightmares that people were, uh, you know, retconning into being alien abductions and then pointed to the same sort of phenomenon happening centuries earlier, but everyone attributed it to angels or, you know, uh, a succubi or something. Oh, yeah. Because it was before the idea of uh, extraterrestrials were in the collective consciousness, so people just sought something else out. Now, of course, someone who's bullish on aliens will just say like, well, they just didn't know what aliens were and they were still getting abducted back then. But um, that that's, that. I don't know, that's, I, I still don't know why the experience is so uniform.
1: Yeah, that's the whole Jacques Vallée, um point of view. Well, Jacques Vallée, the, the writer, uh, wrote Passport to Magonia, and he basically traces these extraterrestrial encounters all the way back to biblical times. And it's like mm-hmm. they were angels and demons, they were succubi, then they were fairies, now they're aliens. Got and, it. And for a brief period, they were like... Uh, They were like people from San Francisco flying around in like magical airships, you know, before uh, the airplane was invented, Ah, you know, so there's just like strange history of the phenomenon, you know, and then but even in that you'll get some like they aren't all sleep paralysis things. They're like living, breathing, waking interactions or encounters, you know, with some sort of manifestation of some kind, whether it's a hallucination or it's some sort of you know, extra dimensional intelligence manifesting itself. Cause you know, one of the things that I think about Nick, I'd actually be interested to hear your perspective on this in terms of just nature of reality in general is this idea of the simulation theory Hmm. that this reality that we're living in here, that this world is might just be a highly advanced computer simulation that our consciousness is dropping down into and we're experiencing much the way that we would experience an avatar in a video game. But it's just so advanced that we've sort of forgotten that we're playing that game or that we're living in that simulation. Because, again, like you pointed out, why don't we know that we're dreaming, you know? right?
3: Uh, I mean, I my thing in the simulation theory is it's almost... I guess this is a cop out, but it's almost like irrelevant to our lived experiences, right? right? It's just like there's just no. It doesn't. How can it affect anything? And is it less meaningful ultimately if it is just a simulation? You know, I, I don't sure. know. I feel like this is. It, I I still feel like I uh like life is is worth something even if it is just like I guess you know it, 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 essentially someone else's creation. I but I. I don't know. I I I feel like there's there's no real way to know. I probably um again. You know, I fall on the skeptical side, but not not completely ruling it out. I would love to die and be greeted with an end of life stats screen uh, that has <laughs> totally. yeah all the um, all the names I've learned, all the the, the number of dogs I've petted. Uh, you know, just a kind of summation of all my experiences, and then I'd love to start a new game plus and just sort of have all the knowledge in my head of of what my life's
1: going to be and try to do a better job. Oh my god, that's <laughs> such a great way of looking at it. And then what and then like but you never defeated the shadow juggernaut, so you have to go back yes, and do yeah. that if you want like that. <laughs> if you want to go platinum, you have to beat the shadow juggernaut. <laughs> there's a whole quest
3: line i missed at like age seven you're like (sighs) look for this time
1: they were like we kept giving you hints nick and you just (laughs) kept screaming into the void into your pillow instead of confronting it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't Uh, know know. Where where do you stand michael um I don't know. I mean obviously I think uh, such a majority of this stuff comes from our subconscious or unconscious or the Jungian collective unconscious, you know that there's just there's so many forms that just universally that you know we we're all different people but we all basically have the same hardware. You right. know, so I'm not surprised that so much of the hardware outputs, you know, creates, you know, this similar visions or similar nightmares. Um <clears throat> And, uh, you know, uh, of uh, as you were talking about the stretched out thing, I was listening to a podcast and now I can't remember whose it was. So I'm, I was like maybe Marcy and Betsy's. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was on one. I don't know why it would be on one of your shows. But there is this. Uh, I recently heard this theory that humans are really bad at creating faces in mm. their mind's eyes so that when you are hallucinating, you're seeing like shadow beings they'll oftentimes be stretched out or elongated as your like mind's eye is trying to create a a face that you Got can it. actually look at so that that then that sort of might what creates the shadow being or the uh, the man in the hat or the man in the tall hat that stretches out you know but then again if you look at it from the flip side, uh, we have a, a recurring guest on the show. Uh, she's a medium and an intuitive named Adela Levine, and she's very, she's very talented. She's very cool. She's very smart. She's down to earth, and she tends to float that. Well, we're when we're in the sleep state, <clears throat> we're also in a different state of consciousness that does allow us to peek into you know, the other realm or the spirit Mm. realm or the dream world. And that, that, that these, it's an altered state of consciousness that does allow you to see behind the veil a little bit. So it's possible that there is some sort of consciousness behind that shadow juggernaut that's hanging out with you. (laughs) You know what I mean? There might be some validity to Wes Craven telling me, ask it what it wants.
4: Yeah. I kind of wonder if maybe it just can't be both, you know, like if, If we, if you accept that there's a multiverse and then there's this sort of infinite potential, then, you know, you're having a hallucination, but that hallucination is seeing a potential reality. So maybe, you know, it, it's sort of that, you know, maybe the dream world or whatever is kind of our, our playground for looking at the multiverse or something like that. And then these, these sleep paralysis things are, are, um, you know that that little bit of crossover, that that spillover you know, in the line between the two, and you know, so it's it 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 is just based on our you know, like you said, our hardware, like our our brains and how they work, but maybe we are also seeing something that's beyond just this reality.
3: Do, do these theories stack? Is is there anyone who's like we are in a simulation? And that explains the alternate universes because those are different versions of the simulation being run that you can some you know, oh. like like are there do, I, I don't know how to, at what layer or what level these things start being layered upon atop
1: each other Yeah, that's... I, think,
4: I think you just did it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> oh, wow, okay. I
1: think that's the Weiger theory. <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> I attribute I like that, that
2: to
3: a me lot. on Spookypedia <laughs> or whatever the site is that people use. <laughs>
1: yeah i i don't know sometimes i think that maybe it's um that may i don't know that maybe some of these like aliens or creatures are either bots in the game you Mm -hmm. know or sprites that can interact with us the way you know that they're sort of like programmed in there uh i don't know enough about coding obviously to really go much further than that or it's it's all, maybe it's the game developer dropping in to interact with us in a sort of like modded form. You know, I I, I don't know. Hmm. Or it's like what happens when, you know, we're on sleep mode in the simulation and we're getting just like glimpses of the uh, other dimension or the higher dimension where our consciousness, you know, drops in from to to run around in these meat suit avatars. Right.
4: It's like the upper levels you haven't unlocked yet.
1: Yeah, or like what we'll go back to when we're, when we wake up or, or oh, so it's when it's game over time. Tree. Yeah, or, you know, mm. I don't, I don't know. It's memories of, you know, because sometimes I like to think that we existed before we we were born. And the choice is like, yeah, let's go down and let's fuck it. You know, much in the same way that we get into movies or video games or books here and we can really s- escape into them. They're stories, you know, obviously. Yes. There's something that we get meaning from stories. And let's say that we exist before we were born. We're in like whatever the heaven dimension is or the fifth dimension, whatever you want to call it. And we go, Hey, let's, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to drop down. Uh, I'm going to go spend, you know, 60 to 90 earth years playing in the third dimension as a guy named Michael, or I don't even even know who I'm going to end up. I don't know. It's a random generator. What, what avatar I get, But then once I'm down there, I'm going to have to stay down there until I get killed. And because we're playing in the third dimension, it's no holds barred. Like the best shit can happen and also the worst shit can happen. And the catch is I'm not going to remember that I'm that I'm playing a game here. I'm not going to remember any of this stuff until I die and I wake back up and I'm like, oh, right. That's that's what I was doing. I mean, that sounds like a pretty next level game.
2: Honestly, it's a cool
1: idea. And I don't it's gone, please. No, I was just gonna say to answer your question, Really, I don't know if there's a difference, you know, when you get into this stuff, then really, what's the difference between that and the biblical image of what Earth is, you know, that there's a creator that we're sent, we're souls that are staying here. And then when we die, we're going to rejoin with the creator. You know what I mean? It's it's not really that different. It's just a different way of looking at it.
3: Yeah, and it's you know, and I guess going back to dreams, it's the same sort of thing where like you're within a dream, you don't realize you're you're in a dream. You made this point earlier, and then you wake up, and all of a sudden you're just like, oh, that's what that was, you know. And I like it's just like the idea that you would a life would end, and you'd just sort of be like, okay. I'm this fucking weird tentacle guy who's been playing this game for <laughs> eighty Earth years, and then I'm yeah. just like, oh yeah, that's what that's what was happening. I remember I logged into this a while
1: back, you right, know? right. And and if you're and if you're living in in a in a dimension that's outside time, you yes. know, you might be logging into this for what feels like thirty minutes, but for for us feels you know while you're down here feels like ninety years, right. Um, but I also love the idea of, like, waking up and being like, oh, fuck, I'm a disgusting tentacle creature. I forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah, I really look like shit. Oh, man, <laughs> That's why I wanted this escape.
3: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I,
1: I got to go again. I, this yeah. You just, like, disgusting. crush an
4: energy drink and, like, go back to playing the games.
3: <laughs> it's interesting that because cause some of the things that are, you know— I, 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 just just expanding on what you guys were saying, like some it, like a like a, the equivalent of what this w- what the simulation would be, like an MMO, like you know, classic example, World of Warcraft has elements of if you die in World of Warcraft, you become like an obser- you become like a spirit, an observer, and then you're just sort of walking. You know, your your job then is you can't really interact with the world in the same way, uh, but you can move around and eventually retrieve your corpse and then reenter the 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 world of the living and you know that's a thing a lot of uh, games have which is like okay that's partly i get you know that's informed i guess by uh you know mythology and folklore and w- what we have but i mean i guess there's a world where like what we have in our world is was created as part of the simulation you know the, the idea that like ghosts are appearing and stuff like that's like a that's that's an element that was just designed in right um because you see it in games that get designed now. And so it's, you know, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, I
1: guess. Yeah. And it's like the Fallout 76 stuff where you can find cryptids, you can find Sheep Squatch, you can find like, you know, the Snallygaster and stuff. It's just, have you been playing in... Fallout 76? I have it, but we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of uh, listeners and research. It pops up in our research all the time, just because now there's so many of these cryptids in that game. Should I, I be I've... playing it? I haven't played it because it got such it, it, it was
3: completely panned at launch. Yeah. And I guess it's one of those ones where they've updated it a few times and now it's a lot more playable. So maybe I'll I'll, I'll explore it. I do like the Fallout universe a lot, uh, but I was just so turned off by the initial impressions. Yeah, me too. That's why I didn't pick it up.
1: But now I'm like, I don't know if Bigfoot's in this thing. I kind of want to play it like I would just play it just so I could go find the cryptids. Right. And there's some really obscure ones in there, too, like the Grafton monster that, like, <laughs> you know, it's probably one of our least listened to episodes.
4: Deep cut, for sure. What's
1: the Grafton monster? Grafton monster was in, I think it was, it might have been Ohio. Let me take a look about where Grafton was. Um, but it, it oddly, strangely, and I did not plan this, Nick, it's a, a hulking-like creature that seems to have no head wow yeah it's a lot like the juggernaut if you if you're near a computer just google grafton monster i'm gonna do that and, real quick. and the first thing you're gonna get is the grafton monster from the uh fallout 76 because now there's more stuff about that on the internet than the actual uh grafton monster but oh it was in west in the west virginia hills this um, is the fucking thing Dude, oh this is so
3: <laughs> similar to what I see. Uh, it's, you know, the, the fallout version is asymmetrical, which is not my experience, but the, uh, yeah, this, this, I, I'm looking at some of the other <laughs> artists renderings of it.
1: I'll, and- uh, I'll read you a description that I just pulled off, off a random website. This is from uh, West Virginia explorer. Uh, The the Grafton Monster, formerly a railroad boomtown, Grafton, West Virginia today seems somewhat an anomaly. A village of big city architecture locked in a territory of small farms and dense woodlands. Through these woodlands prowls a monster. Some say the legend of the Grafton Monster has endured since the 1960s when sightings were at their peak. The manlike beast is said to be akin to a Bigfoot or skunk ape. According to the book, Monsters of West Virginia, eyewitnesses have estimated that it stands between seven and nine feet tall, It is cloaked in pale skin that is slick, like that of a seal, but it has no discernible, like head. Like its hunch, its head is hunched down, embedded like in its shoulders and chest.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, Can I just say, real quick, to the Grafton monster, if you're listening to this podcast, leave me alone. (laughs) Get out of my dreams.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Big,
4: I'm
1: a big bird. (laughs) I'm <laughs> not <laughs> All right Nick, we have a game that we like to play with all of our guests on the show. I'm going to go down a list of phenomenon and uh if you're into it or open to it, you're going to say believe it. If you're not, you're going to say bullshit. This is a game that we like to call bullshit or believe it. All right, Nick Wagger, on your mark. Oh, I forgot to mention, this is our spooky Halloween edition that's come back after a year of absence. Awesome. Here we go. On your mark, get set, ghosts. Hmm, bullshit. UFOs. Bullshit. Bigfoot. Bullshit. Vampires. Hmm.
3: Wish it wasn't, but bullshit. (laughs) Shadow people. Uh, I think I have to go believe it.
1: Yes, you do. (laughs) Loch Ness Monster. Bullshit. Little gray aliens. Bullshit. Werewolves. Bullshit. Parallel universes. Believe it. Zombies. Bullshit. Shapeshifters. Bullshit heaven believe it hell bullshit yeti bullshit doppelgangers bullshit astrology Mm, bullshit esp bullshit witches bullshit demons bullshit atlantis bullshit mothman Bullshit. Reincarnation. Mm, Believe it. The apocalypse. Believe it. Life after death. Believe it. Well done, Nick Weiger. You right. uh, you got through bullshit or believe it. I also enjoyed how lower your voice got with every bullshit. <laughs> <That's> very
4: <laughs> bullshit, <complicated. laughs>
1: I'm trying to sound like Riley for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, we all we all wish we could. We uh, witches. Yeah, right. I feel like you upset a lot of a lot of people out there by saying witches were bullshit. I maybe regret that uh, just because the witch community might
3: come after me in earnest and you got a hex not, on your head. Bullshit. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> Uh, that no, and astrology, you know, that's a dangerous position in Los Angeles to go it's, bullshit.
3: On. Yes, well, I mean, I know some. I, I, you know, I know some people who do a, astrology, and and uh, and you know, I, I think just being confronted with a binary of true or false, I'm yes. going yeah. to like. I'm going to pick the. I'm going to be a little bit more inherently skeptical. But you know, I think I'm open to most things. For me, the clearest bullshits are like the Loch Ness monster and atlantis those are ones who are just like (laughs) come on everything else i'm just like well you know i guess there's a possibility
1: atlantis is just i mean and we really haven't done a big research on this so you know what guys i might change my mind but just from from its popularity at the turn of the century and during like the new age wave that was happening in the 20s and 30s atlantis really just seems to be like a A made-up place where white people can say they descended from. You know what I mean? It's (laughs) like Wakanda. We're like, yeah. It's like I don't know, guys. This is just i don't know we uh, you're from western Euro- europe that's where you're from you're not right. you're not like ascended from high masters of a highly advanced society i'm sorry i think the results are in the in the pudding here everybody <laughs> yeah, no kidding that um, said
3: i will say there is an indiana jones video game indiana yes. jones of the fate of atlantis which
1: rules god i always wanted to play that game was that pc or was that sega it was pc it was something that I could not play it on. And I remember going to Babbage's at the mall and oh, staring. Babbage's. Yeah, remember Babbage's? Yes. Oh, I used to go stare at the, I would stare at the back of the Indiana Jones box, uh, the the Atlantis one, and just be like, oh man, I wish I could play Cause it. Because back then, it was like, that's as good as a sequel of a movie, yes. you know? And it was like, another Indiana Jones adventure? Please. And And then it's well written, too. It's like it's got it's not you know, it's
3: not a movie caliber, but it's like it's it's got a good script.
1: Oh, man. And then the other box that I would stare at and only the front of it because I was too scared to pick it up was, of course, Leisure Suit Larry. Yes.
3: (laughs) Yeah. The all time the all time horniest. uh, I think it's the horniest I've ever been is looking at Leisure Suit Larry box. (laughs) I, I will say that. That is a thing uh, that I miss about retail because I love, you know, obviously digital delivery is so much more convenient, but man, the idea of going to a video game store and then just like looking at boxes of games you covet, but cannot buy, right? cannot play for what it, you don't have that system, you know, or you, like, it, 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 it there's something to just like the, uh, the temptation of uh, the, like that 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 I'm denied this thing but I just want it like I'm going to crave it so much I I I don't know and like I have you have positive memories of that yeah I, I, one thing I'll say about Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis which is it's it's great because it's you know it's a point and click adventure game so it's got like these puzzles that you solve but if you think of them in terms of it happening in an Indiana Jones movie it's it's so bananas. For instance, there's a t- there you smuggle yourself aboard a U-boat, which is, you know, very Indiana Jones, you could absolutely see that happening. Mm-hmm. But then there's a point where you have to distract a a one of the uh, the guards who's on the, the, the U-boat. And the way you do it is by making a tasty sandwich. And so you like you find some salami and you like find some bread and you find some like condiments and you like assemble a sandwich and you leave it out. And he's like, "Mmm, that sandwich looks good. And then he's so distracted by the sandwich he's eating that you can sneak past him. Just imagine like Harrison Ford shooting yeah. that scene. Marion, pass me the honey
1: mustard. <laughs> I need it now. Throw me the throw me the mail. <laughs> Don't look at it. Don't look at it, Marion. <laughs> that's like that's some like maniac mansion level antics. Yes, that's what?
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it was it's, you know it's the same sort of the same engine and and pro- probably some overlapping developers. You know, is the same same formula, but just very funny to see it applied to Indiana just, Jones.
1: Just made by a programmer who hadn't eaten all day. He's just like <laughs> just creeped into the game. He's just like I got oh god, I want a sandwich so bad, but I got to turn this in. Oh, that's so great. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's time for this week's story of high strangeness with Mr. Nick Weiger.
2: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
1: all right riley let's open zombie bigfoot's cryptid crypt for this week's terrifying tale here we go here we go riley give us some spooky music and we're off in 1924 a classic Beaux-Arts style multi-story hotel in downtown Los Angeles was erected with 5 years of it, within 5 years of its founding the US slid into the Great Depression and began slowly dragging the surrounding area of the hotel into decline By the mid 1940s it was said that more than 10,000 homeless people lived within its 1 mile radius As Skid Row grew around this once luxurious destination for tourists and businessmen alike, the hotel drifted into dreaded decline. It became a home for transients, drifters, and criminals, as well as the elderly and the economically vulnerable. It rented rooms to at least two serial killers. By 1960, the amount of death associated with the building, often self-inflicted by its guests, earned the hotel its gruesome nickname, The Suicide. Should it come as any surprise that this place was highly regarded to be cursed and haunted? In fact, in 2014, a young boy by the name of Costin Alderte snapped an image of a spectral figure hovering outside a window of this infamous L.A. location. When interviewed by the local news about his ghost photo, which you can see on our Instagram... Young Costin had this to say. When I looked at that window, it just looked kind of creepy to me. And and I showed
3: my friend, and he kind of freaked out. just creeps me out still. It's just a
1: very vague description of a ghost photo. (laughs) Kind of creepy.
4: I don't don't know. My friend thought it was creepy, too.
1: (laughs) Kind of weird. Just sort of freaked out by it. (laughs) It's like this little boy who's caught a ghost on camera. And the photo is hot. It's got a, you know, you can sort of see an image of what looks to be like a foggy figure sort of hovering outside the window. But, uh, who knows? Fair Should worn- I have taken that as a, as a, like a little kid voice?
2: Is no, that I, I kind
1: of like that. He was a grown man now. <laughs> <laughs> that reflecting. Seeing that ghost really, you know, he, he had to grow up quickly after encountering this this photograph. It
4: gets you fast. Once you've seen that window ghost. <laughs>
1: Fair warning, dear listeners. A spooky ghost photo is the only cute part of tonight's story of high strangeness. What lies ahead is a dark tale full of tragedy and horror. While we will not relish in its violence, we will also not shy away from the hotel's grim history. All too strange and all too real. Consider this your warning. This is the horror story of... The Cecil Hotel
0: Yes, oh,
1: the earliest reported suicide at the Cecil Hotel was in 1931 when a hotel guest from Manhattan Beach W K Norton offed himself by ingesting a handful of poison capsules. The suicides continued through the 1930s as the Cecil became a notorious location for jumpers, guests, who flung themselves from their hotel room windows. One of these victims was Pauline Otten, who, on October 12, 1962, flung herself from a ninth-story window after having an argument with her estranged husband. She fell to the city sidewalk below, where she landed on a 65-year-old pedestrian named George Gianni, killing him in the act that's that's a bad day in your simulation like that's Dude. how you go out it's like a lady falls on you and you're dead
4: you lived your whole life you
1: got that far and then this lady from the sky that's crazy in one of the more gruesome and tragic tales in the hotel occurred in 1944 when a hotel guest Dorothy Jean Purcell suddenly woke in the middle of the night with terrible stomach aches She crawled into the bathroom when, much to her surprise, she gave birth to a baby boy. Having no idea she was even pregnant, the delirious woman, mistakenly under the belief that the infant had died in childbirth, flung the newborn out the window. Arrested for her son's murder, Purcell was acquitted at trial for reasons of temporary insanity. She was admitted to a hospital for psychiatric evaluation. Another infamous death is the unsolved murder of Goldie Osgood, also known to locals as the Pigeon Goldie. Osgood was a regular. Osgood was a regular at Pershing Square Park, a retired telephone operator who spent her free time feeding the pigeons. Osgood was discovered dead in a hotel room, next to her favorite Dodgers cap and a bag of birdseed. She had been beaten, raped strangled. The case is unsolved to this day. In the mid-1980s and early 90s, the Cecil hosted two notorious serial killers. Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. The Night Stalker, stayed on the 14th floor of the hotel during his L.A. murder spree between 1984 and 1985. Ramirez would stash his blood soaked clothes in the dumpster behind the hotel before sneaking into the back door. Upon receiving the death sentence, execution by a gas chamber, at his trial, Ramirez uttered the disturbing words Big deal. Death always went with the
3: territory. See you in Disneyland.
1: Oh my God. Jesus. Unbelievable. Jeez. He's implying wow. that he's going to haunt Disneyland? I guess <laughs> it's Richard Ramirez haunting Disneyland right now.
4: Who's under that Mickey mouse
1: costume. <laughs> oh my God, That's When terrifying. you're, when you go
3: through the haunted mansion and uh, one of the ghosts appears in your carriage at the end, there's like a one in 999 chance that it's Richard Ramirez. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Yeah, it's brutal. He used to hang out down on Skid Row and then he'd leave to go murder everybody. I don't know, man. This if you, have you been to this area in downtown L.A., Nick? Where this
3: hotel is, I'm sure. Yeah, I've, I, yeah I, I'm sure I've seen it.
4: It's like the apocalypse down there. It's it's uh, it's it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: It's like an um, an evil version of the community, the the the, the transient community. The well, actually, I shouldn't say this. It's all very judgmental, but it's sort of like a dark version of uh, uh they live like John. Car- it's a John Carpenter mm. movie down there for sure.
4: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's uh, it's some late stage capitalism. I it's very
1: you know. depressed. Yeah, I,
3: I think I, I, if not this specific area, you know, I've definitely uh, d- uh, driven through or, or ridden the bus through Skid Row in L.A. And it, it's yeah, it's, it's very grim. It's a yeah. bummer that there, that so many people don't have a place to live, and these, gi- these gigantic, you know, tent cities have propped up. <clears throat> just because yep. there's no other option. It's, it's really depressing. And the
1: hotel is like the threshold for that area. It's just this oh, horrendously okay. economically depressed uh, area. In 1991, Jack Unterweger, who was a well-known journalist, TV host, and crime writer from Austria, checked into the Cecil under the guise of researching Ramirez and crime in the downtown LA area buddying up with the cops Unterweger went on ride-alongs and interviewed denizens of Skid Row he ended up sexually assaulting and murdering three sex workers Shannon Exley Irene Rodriguez and Peggy Booth while staying at the Cecil also on the 14th floor this motherfucker was a true crime writer and he was a serial killer yeah, he's called, like, the Vienna Butcher or something. It's really wild. That's, that's, there's There should be, like, a whole true crime podcast about that guy. It's insane. Perhaps the most bizarre tragedy of the Cecil Hotel was the mysterious death of Elisa Lamb In January 2013, Canadian tourist Elisa Lamb, a 21-year-old student of the University of British Columbia, was traveling alone on a student's budget when she checked in at the hotel, which had by this point been rebranded as the Stay On Main Hotel and Hostel. Described as sweet and intelligent, Elisa was traveling on her own during a West Coast tour of the U.S. A part-time art and fashion blogger and mental health advocate, Elisa suffered from bipolar disorder, which might explain her erratic behavior, captured in an elevator security camera footage from the Cecil Hotel that went viral in 2013. Elisa was on medication and forthcoming about her struggle of mental illness on her tumble, which cites this quote from Fight Club author Chuck Palahniuk. You're
3: always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life.
1: He said it so casually. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <clears throat> Elisa's parents, immigrants from Hong Kong, were keeping in touch with her every day during her vacation. She she routinely called them on a daily basis to let them know where she was and that she was okay. So when they did not hear from her on January 31st, the day Elisa was supposed to check out and head north to Santa Cruz, they contacted the hotel to check in on her whereabouts. Elisa was last seen on January 31st. Hotel staff claimed she was alone. Elisa shopped at the last bookstore where she bought presents for her family. The manager, Katie Orphan, described Elisa as outgoing, lively, and very friendly. In other words, no signs of suicidal ideation. Orphan told CBS LA, It seemed like she had plans to return home, plans to give things to her family members and reconnect with them. Hotel manager Amy Price informed investigators that Elisa had originally been assigned to a hostel-style room, but was relocated to a private one after her roommates complained of odd behavior. However, there were no real leads to her disappearance. Elisa seemed to simply vanish into thin air. Police found her laptop and personal belongings in her room, so there was a theory that she never left the hotel at all, at least not by her way. Elisa's family flew in from Canada to help assist in the search. On February 15th, still no sign of Elisa, police released a roughly four-minute video that exploded on YouTube, attracting the attention of true crime enthusiasts and conspiracy theorists alike. In the video, captured on the day she disappeared, Elisa is seen walking into an elevator and acting rabbi. She scans the elevator buttons and cowers in the corner as if hiding from an unseen pursuer. Lamb then starts peeking out of the elevator door before finally stepping out into the hallway. Her hands gesticulate in a strange manner. At one point, she sweeps them across the air repeatedly, as if stroking the back of some large, lumbering, invisible she gestures to an individual outside of the camera's POV before finally stepping out of frame. Now if you've watched this video it's really creepy. It's one of the creepiest videos in recent memory. and It it looks like she's talking to somebody but you can't see who it is. You know, some people think that there's some sort of paranormal activity taking place here that maybe she's seeing someone that's invisible. Obviously, people think that she might be having uh, a manic episode. Uh, but it's just a really creepy video. Uh, Nick, what were your impressions while look, watching that?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's upsetting. I also they, I read some a little bit about this, that there's some theorizing that there's maybe someone off screen who's right. hidden in, you know, perhaps unintentionally or perhaps the video was manipulated to edit them out. Yes. Uh, and because I, I guess there's no timestamp. And so they're not sure how much of it is, is, you know, how much of it is continuous. If there's a chunk
1: maybe lifted out of the middle when she steps out of frame. Yes, exactly. Armchair internet sleuths lobbed theories that ranged from a bad drug trip to a mental breakdown to demonic possession. Someone or something had disturbed or frightened Elisa, but what? Conspiracy theorists pointed out that frames of the video seemed to be missing, and at certain points the video was sped up or slowed down, implying a potential cover-up. Then, in the days after the video release, hotel guests started to complain about the water. The front desk was getting complaints that the tap water tasted strange. And in some cases it was dark brown or black. A hotel maintenance worker by the name of Santiago Lopez traveled to the top floor of the Cecil, unlocked a door using a special key card to access the stairway to the roof, turned off an alarm that would trigger any unauthorized person's trespass that trespassed, made a sandwich to distract a Nazi. <laughs> Just kidding climbed up a ladder to, perform, to the platform that staged four hotel water tanks, lifted one of the tank's 20-pound hatches, and found Lisa's naked body floating there, de- decomposing in the water. Due to the state of the body, coroners were unable to conduct a full autopsy that would help inform them of foul play toxicology report was run which showed that Elisa had been at least taking some of her prescribed medications and there were no signs of illegal drugs or intoxicants but even if something had triggered a manic episode, how did Elisa end up dead and naked in the water tank on the roof of the Cecil Hotel how did she gain access without triggering alarms or without a key card in a case as mysterious as this one There are many theories ranging from murder by an unnamed hotel employee to a paranormal attack. The death was officially ruled a drowning. Elisa's parents filed a wrongful death suit against the hotel, but it was dismissed by Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Howard Hall, who ruled that Elisa's death was unforeseeable because it it occurred in an area where guests were not allowed access. Sadly, Elisa's tragic and mysterious death is just part of a long, dark, haunted history that has infested a once glamorous hotel in downtown Los Angeles. And that, in a very brief nutshell, is the horrific tale of the Cecil Hotel. Sources for this story include The Unsolved Mystery Behind the Disturbing Death of Elisa Lamb by Natasha Ishak from allthingsinteresting.com Elisa Lamb drowned in a water tank three years ago, but the ose- obsession with her death lives on by Jennifer Swan for vice.com, Wikipedia, and the three-part documentary series Horrors of the Cecil Hotel. Nick Weiger, what the hell is that? <laughs>
3: Ever, you know, what it's like uh, I, I, hearing just the barrage of all the incidents that's happened there over the decades it is it's it's really something but yeah the last one that like like riley was saying i think the the elisa lamb one is just so like every aspect of it is upsetting the fact that there's there's no closure and then that that all the guests were just you know like bathing in this 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 tainted water yeah, uh, where... that,
1: that water tank ran all the way down to like the coffee shop. So like all the coffee oh, was being glued with it. Like everyone was ingesting or bathing in that water. So gnarly. It's Ugh, yeah terrifying. And it's so sad. And, you know, this is like a real person that this happened to. right? And all of these people, you go to the Wikipedia and there is a list like the length of my arm of just everyone who has died in that hotel. And, you know, you, you have to assume that, sure there's people that die in areas all the time that we don't hear about but just the amount of suicides that were happening after the great depression and during the great depression at that hotel were uh, alarming yes it's i'm i'm shocked that they didn't like erect nets at the bottom you know to catch people as grim as it was but, um, yeah, it's a weird you know it's a it's one of these places that's on all the ghost tours uh in l in downtown l a It's a famous once again one of the famous haunted hotels of Los Angeles, and we seem to have a lot of them right. I don't know, do you guys think it's possible that maybe this place just exists on a dark crossroads that there's just bad energy down there what do what do you what 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 is this?
4: I'm open to that possibility. I mean, especially considering like Skid Row around it and everything, there's just like so much suffering in that area. And there's been so much suffering in that hotel. And it's just like it, it maybe it's like creates a feedback loop where it just compounds on itself and, and, uh, and amplifies, you know, this, this very dark energy. And, you know, maybe it is possible that people are driven mad in that space, you know?
3: Yeah, I I think the 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 other way you could view the feedback loop sort of theory is that maybe if someone has, you know, thoughts of suicide or some you know, they might and or maybe they have some. It it sounds like, you know, that that true crime writer, uh, psychopath, like probably was was perhaps drawn to this place because of its reputation. So there, there could be some of that as well.
4: Right, yeah, that makes sense. Wasn't the uh, American Horror Story Hotel season based on this? Yes, it
1: was. Recently? And it was uh the, it received a lot of backlash because there was a lot of critics who were like you're taking this like economically destitute area and you're turning it into this sort of like glamorous horror story uh right. or glorified horror story. But yeah, that is it is based on that. And then this is interesting, Nick, I found this, you might find this. This is from <clears throat> I think this is from that All Things Interesting article. Uh, I'm just going to read read directly from, the, from, from this quote. Uh, More recently, a gaming studio came under fire after users of the game Y2K, a postmodern RPG, found undeniable resemblances to Lamb's case in the storyline. In one scene of the game, main character Alex receives a video file showing another character, Sammy, in an elevator. The elevator door opens to re- reveal an alternate dimension on the other side sammy is then captured by a demon kicking and screaming all the while wow yeah it just seems like that's in poor taste
3: (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know if you'd ever heard of
1: that game or not no no i'm not aware of it y2k um and then there there's this other theory that that vice had that um wait i'm sorry Sorry, real quick this this incident happened in
3: like 2010 or something, right? Yes,
1: I, 2013. Which I don't know why this says uh, why why this game was Y2K postmodern. It must have been created. In, in, in since 2013 let me look, i'm gonna google it right now we'll take because i was
3: gonna say because uh, unless this is another thing like they you know people were saying dark water maybe uh was a had eerie resemblances to this but happened before the incident was released before the incident unless it's one of those it's just like why are you making a game called y2k in the 2010s
1: <laughs> well it's a so apparently it's a japanese rpg style game uh it okay. takes place in the 90s Oh, Okay, okay. that makes a little more sense. The storyline must revolve around an alternate version of whatever happened on Y2K. Got it. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's about eight strangers, a mysterious woman who vanishes in an elevator and the supernatural. So clearly this is like heavily influenced by this by this story. Um, one of the other theories was that she may have had tuberculosis. I read this in the vice.com because there was an outbreak of tuberculosis uh, in uh, downtown L.A. at the time. Uh, the One of the reasons I bring it up is that there's a weird synchronistic uh, uh, crossover here that the test to identify tuberculosis is called LAM Elisa. Well, mm. How okay. strange is that? weird it's her name reversed yeah
4: but i mean what yeah (laughs) what does that
1: mean i don't know it's It's just a weird synchronicity i don't know it's just one of those. i just
4: can't get past the door the locked door the alarm the difficult to open the hatch the lock it's just like how that that
1: that? that's why i think someone from the hotel probably was following her and was involved and that the hotel either covered it up or that person got away with it yeah, because right. that that all that completely
3: ties in with the footage being manipulated. I mean, someone yeah. who would have access to all these things, you know, if there if there was a culprit behind this, it wasn't a suicide. Yeah, allegedly, then,
1: allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say that. So <laughs> yeah, very allegedly. We don't get stood then, by Stay On Main.
4: In this in this alleged, uh, you know, theoretical, then the the guy that goes and finds her is like the perfect fall guy because like he has the key and everything to open the door and. So it's like, or maybe, you know, I'm sure he was a suspect Yeah, at some point.
1: Who knows? It's all creepy. Well, expect more scary stories like that all month long here on Bigfoot Collectors Club as we celebrate horror stories. Uh, Nick Weiger, man, what a delight. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. You are uh, such a great guest. Uh, Bigfoot cannot, we don't know where to find Bigfoot. Where can
3: f- people find Nick Weiger? You yeah, know, I'm, I'm uh, just my name on any social media platform, uh, Nick Weiger, and then N-I-C-K-W-I-G-E-R. And then, yeah, check out my podcast, Doughboys, Boys, the podcast about chain restaurants, uh, co-hosted with my friend Mike Mitchell. And uh, how did this get played where we, we review and discuss the worst and weirdest video games of all time uh, with uh,
1: Heather Ann Campbell and Matt Apodaca. Uh, check out either uh, either of those or both of those. Chug them out both. I can subscribe to both. So can you. Uh, Definitely follow us on uh, Bigfoot Pod on Twitter, Bigfoot Collectors Club on Instagram. Do us a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star review. If you give us one in a a brief little uh, review, then we might read it right here. Like this one that says, Fantastic Paranormal Podcast, five stars by Stormtrooper Gab. My favorite part about BCC is that Reverend Steve Newland is entertaining me with a paranormal goodness uh, with paranormal goodness each week wow thank you a little true blood reference uh, appropriate for the halloween season vampires sorry nick vampires are not real I know. but uh maybe maybe once you get on the other side you can program some vampires into the great simulation that we're all taking place in
3: i'll add them and then i'll make sure uh, as i prefer to call them they'll
1: they'll be everyone will know them as dracula's so. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, everybody. That wraps up another episode. Bryce Johnson will be back next week. Until then, good night. And go get regressed. All right.
4: Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors
2: Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.